Everybody belongs in a church somewhere, you know, everybody should be planted in God's house. The Bible says in Psalm 92, verse 13, when we're planted in God's house, that's when we flourish. That's when we flourish. That's when we grow, when we're planted in God's house. And um, and it says that uh, in Isaiah 65, verse eight, one of my favorite scriptures this year is this scripture. It says the the new wine is found in the cluster. The new wine is found in the cluster. And he says, do not destroy it for a blessing is in it. There is a blessing in the cluster of grapes. You know, no, no one grape can create grape juice or produce a glass of wine or a bottle of wine. No, no one grape can do that or a couple grapes together can't do that. But when there is a cluster of grapes, that's what produces the new wine. That's where the blessing is. And Satan hates the cluster. Satan hates the church. Satan hates you coming to church. Satan would love for you to be somewhere else today. But you but you overcame Satan and you came to church where God says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Why? Because there's a blessing in the cluster. There's a there's power in the cluster. There is new wine in the cluster. New wine represents the covenant. New wine represents God's promises. New wine represents joy. New wine represents the love of God. New wine represents intimacy with God. And the new wine is found in the cluster when you're connected to the body of Christ, when you're connected to a local church. That's the cluster of grapes. And that's where the blessing flows. And that's where God says there is new wine. And so just receive that today. Expect that today and get planted today. You know, grapes don't say, well, I don't like the rest of the grapes in my cluster. They recognize the cluster makes them look better. How many know one grape sitting by itself on the counter? Not real appetizing. Doesn't really look that great. But a beautiful cluster with some dew on it, a beautiful cluster with some drips of water on it, a beautiful cluster of grapes on the vine. Boy, that looks really pretty. You never see a picture of a grape on a painting. You never see a picture of a grape uh, in, a, in online. You see a picture of a cluster. Come on, help me now. Because it's beautiful, it's attractive. You're way more beautiful with me than you are without me. With me? Without me. With me? Without me. And same with me. With you? Without you. With you? Without you. We look better together. In the cluster, we produce better wine together in the cluster. We're connected to the vine together in the cluster. Jesus is the vine and we are de branch. Amen. He's divine and we're de branch. That, that's that what sounds better. All right. Um, so before we give today, I just thought if you wouldn't mind, if you would if you would allow me, I would like to just get right into the teaching today of God's word and then receive our tithes and offerings at the end. Would that be OK? Can we do it that way? I mean, we, if we can vote if you want to get if you want to do it now, you just can't wait to get your offering in. We'll do it. But I just don't want anybody at the end of the service going, why did he wait until the end of the service? Because I just I'm asking you, is that is that cool? Is that good with you guys watching? All right, because I got to really get this out and and then it'll it'll make sense and it'll connect with our giving as well. But I, I want our hearts to to go deep today. And my teaching today is simply. And by the way, I know we didn't vote, but I'm just assuming since nobody yelled and screamed and waving envelopes at me, you're, you're willing to wait until the end of the service. I just don't want people to go at the end of the service. Oh, is he taking up another offering? No, it's the only offering at the end of the service. But if we did take up another offering, there'd be nothing wrong with that either. Just want to make that clear. All right, because we're givers. Amen. Givers are livers. Givers are livers. Uh, it sounds weird because a liver is like a weird part of the body, but you can't live without it. That's why it's called liver, not dire. Um, my teaching today is called go deep. Don't get deep. Going deep, not getting deep. You know what I mean by not getting deep? You know how people are. They get all intellectual and they get people like to, you know, show how smart they are. They want to get deep. You know, people want to start talking about they want to get deep with God. I want to I don't want you to get deep about God. I want you to go deep with him. I'm going to show you how to go deep, not get deep. You know, 
when we get deep because we try to be smarter than somebody else, we try to be wittier than somebody else. We're trying to get deep. People try to talk about a topic. And and, and you know, usually when we when there's something in our life that that uh, that we want to cover up, we want to get deep. We don't want to go deep and deal with that area of our life, but we want to get deep and act philosophical and act theological and act ideological and act political. You know, politics are very, you know, surfacey and uh, ideology and and um, and philosophy is, is it's very surfacey. Anybody can can be a philosopher. Anyone can post uh, something Aristotle said or something uh, some 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 poet some poet said. You can post that on your on your social media and it looks kind of cute and it's kind of smart and it's kind of it sounds deep, but it's just because we're getting deep rather than going deep. God wants us to go deep and God wants us to have a deep relationship with him. And it's simpler than what we think. And I want to I want to get this across to you that this is simpler than you think that to go deep with God. It's it's you know, people I've noticed that that when um, that so many people, they 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 want to they want to get deep about revelation, you know, well, you know, who is the what are the 12 horns symbolized on the beast's toe and what uh, you know, what does it mean and what does it symbolize when the dragon in Revelation chapter 14 and and uh, the crowns of the diadem in Revelation chapter four and people are trying to get real deep rather than going deep with God. Let me tell you something. It really doesn't matter what the beast looks like. It doesn't matter when Jesus returns. What matters is what is your relationship with him like? And if you focus on that, you don't need to go. You don't need to get deep because you already are going deep with God. Well, let me just show you what I mean by that, because somebody might think, well, why is he talking about that? I mean, because the Lord spoke to me and he said, I want you to invite my people to go deep with me and don't be afraid that they don't that they won't be able to do that. Don't be afraid. It'll be too complicated. I said, what do you mean, Lord? Well, he said, well, it's not too complicated for you, is it? I said, no, it's not complicated. He said and he showed me the scriptures about going deep with him. And I'm just going to show you some of the scriptures about going deep with God, because I think that's the greatest, most powerful thing you can do in your life is strengthening your relationship with God and going deep with him. And I don't mean getting deep by being philosophical and theological, but by going deep in a intimacy with God that is a closeness that he's called all of us to. Remember, Jesus said in Revelation chapter three, verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, he said, if anyone will open the door, will hear my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Notice he could have said, I will dine with him. But he said, I will dine with him and he with me. In other words, he talks about an exchange there. He talk, he says it's just as important that he dine with us as we dine with him. And it's just as important that we dine with him as he dines with us. He says both because it's a two way relationship. It's God never wanted us to have a one way relationship where we're just telling him all of our problems or just asking him for all of our needs. And he doesn't want a one way relationship where he's just telling us everything he wants to tell us. But he wants there to be him dining with us and we with him. Can anybody say amen? And he is standing at the door and knocking. In other words, it's one thing if you had to order something on the, you know, order something by mail that's going to take four to six weeks for delivery. It's another thing if the guy is standing at the door with the package that you needed and the package that you wanted. Boy, isn't that a whole lot better than having to wait several weeks for it? And Jesus says, I'm not four weeks away. I'm not six weeks away. I'm not eight weeks away. I'm not even two days away. If you're a prime member, I am standing at the door. Catch up. Got it with me. All right, come on, let's go. Uh, <laughs> Jesus says, I'm standing at the door and I knock. He is literally standing at the door. He is not two days away. He is not one day away. He is not four weeks away. He is standing at the door and he is knocking. And anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now, look, at, let, now let me show you something, how powerful it is when we go deep with God and what miraculous things are going to happen in your life. For example, let me show you something in, in Ephesians chapter three, verse 17. Watch what he says here. He said that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he dwells in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love 
Notice what he says, rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Love is what gives you the ability to comprehend. Love gives you God's love, gives you the ability to comprehend or to understand things. You can't understand things when you don't understand God's love. He said that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the what is the the the, the length, the width and length and depth and height, the the width, the length, the depth and the height. Notice you only get to the height when you go through the depth. Depth is what produces height. You want to go high with God? You got to go deep with God. You want to go high in being successful? You got to go deep with being a servant and understanding the the things that it takes to be successful in life. You can't just be a a superficial person and surfacey person. And I've noticed that a lot of Christians are very superficial. They get deep and they try to talk about deep things, but they don't they don't love from from a depth. They don't forgive from a place of depth. They don't um, they don't think from a deep place of of comprehending. You know, you're never going to fully comprehend. You're not going to comprehend what you're going through until you understand the love of God. You're not going to comprehend how to make it through until you understand the love of God. You're not going to comprehend how to how to get to the next step and how to take the next step until you first comprehend the love of God. The depth will bring you height. And it says in verse 19, and what is this depth? He said to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Boy, when you come up against a trial or a a, a temptation in life, when you're filled to the fullness of God, you can handle any temptation. But when you have a bad uh, when you're in a bad way in a relationship in your life, when you when you are filled to the fullness of God, you're going to be able to handle that situation in that relationship. When you're going through a financial crisis, boy, when you're filled to all the fullness of God, you're going to know what to do. You're going to be able to match up with that situation in that circumstance because you're filled to the fullness of God. Boy, this is really the solution to everything, being filled to the fullness of God. And and um, and so so notice this is that this is one of the great benefits of going deep in God's love is that you will be filled with all the fullness of God and you will know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge and you will be able to comprehend. You can only comprehend life when you understand the depths of God's love. You can only comprehend what you're facing right now. You can only comprehend God's destiny for your life. You can only comprehend the big dreams that he has for you when you understand the big love that he has for you. Am I in the right place here today? Let me take you somewhere else about going deep. Look at Psalm chapter 42 and let's begin in verse five. Psalm chapter 42, verse five. Why are you cast down? O my soul. Notice how David is talking to himself. He's talking to his soul. Oh, why? Why are you? He's talking to his soul. Why are you downcast? Oh, my soul. You know, you are spirit, soul and body and your spirit needs to take charge and talk to your soul. Why are you downcast oh my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Put your hope in God, for I shall yet again praise him for the help of his countenance. He said the reason why we're cast down is because we're hoping in something other than God. When our hope is in something other than God, when your hope is in money, when your hope is in a person, when your hope is in people coming through for you, when your hope is in America, when your hope is in your job, when your hope is in your hope is in the Democrats or the Republicans, your hope is in politics, your hope is in uh, theology, your hope is in religion. You're you're going to be disappointed. But when you're and you're going to be cast down, your soul is going to be heavy, cast down, depressed, sad. And but when you put your hope in God, you know, as long as you hope in people, they'll disappoint you. You can rest assured people are going to let you down, but you can rest assured God will never let you down. Put your hope in God. Everything's going to be all right. And then he says in verse six, look at what he says in verse six. This is where this phrase came from. Oh, my God. Anybody ever say that? Anybody ever write that? Anybody ever abbreviate that one? Oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. What do I do about it? Ah, therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan. 
and from the heights of Hermon and from the hill of Mizar. What he's saying is he's remembering specific places where the Lord showed up and where the Lord took care of his people. And what he's saying is my soul is cast down. My soul is depressed. My soul is in a place of darkness. My soul is heavy and weighed down. So what is my response? I will remember you. I will remember you. I will remember you. You know, going deep with God starts right here. Step number one, you want to go deep with God here. I'm going to give you three ways to go deep with God. I'm going to give you three results of it. You ready for this? Really simple. Three ways to go deep with God and the three results that come from it. It's going to affect you in three ways. But first, this is the first way to go deep with God is in the very next verse in verse seven. Look at what he says. He's this is what he's describing in verse six is deep calls unto deep, deep calls unto deep. But see, a lot of Christians, they're afraid of the idea of going deep with God because they think it's it sounds so daunting. It sounds so big. It sounds so uh, theoretical and hard to comprehend and hard to get your arms around. What does it mean to go deep with God? It's really simple. Step one, going deep with God. It's he says it in verse six. When your soul is cast down, the way that you go deep with God is to remember to remember what he's done. You know, the very first thing we should do every day is remember what God has done. The very first thing you should do whenever you're in a trial. Remember what God has done. The very first thing you should do when you're in trouble. Remember what God has done. The very first thing that you should do when you don't know what to do. Remember what God has done. The greatest thing you can do in your life is to use your memory to remember God. Remember where he brought you. Remember how he loved you. Remember how he forgave you. Remember how he rescued you. Remember, you might say, well, I didn't need to be rescued. I had good parents. Well, then remember that he rescued your parents so that you would have a better life than you than they had. Remember, 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 remember the way to go deep with God is not to be somebody that has to come up with creative ways of saying things and come up with with uh, beautiful poetry on your social media page. And really, you, you just stole it from somebody else anyway. So stop acting like you're so deep and so smart. Come on, who's got this with me? And what we need to do is instead of instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, instead of trying to come up with some fancy schmancy intellectual, theological, eschatological thing that but instead we should just remember going deep with God is just remembering, remembering. Oh, look at what David said. He said in Psalm 103, bless the Lord on my soul and forget none of his benefits. Forget none of his benefits. He pardons all my iniquities. He he heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from destruction. He crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies. And he satisfies my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagle. Look at how David is remembering. He's remembering. Listen, the devil is really good at reminding you of what you've done wrong and reminding you of some of the bad times. But it is on us. It is our responsibility to remember to remind ourselves what God has done, to remember the Lord, to remember his goodness, to remember his grace. Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. He doesn't say remember your sins. He says, remember me. So many people take communion and they are remembering their sins. Oh, I blew it here and I blew it there and I better get all this sin out of my life before I take communion in an unworthy manner. And that is wrong. It's wrong theology. Theologically, it's wrong. Biblically, it's wrong relationally. It's an insult to the blood of Jesus to think that you have to fix your life and take communion at the same time. No, taking communion is what fixes your life. Taking communion is a remembering what Jesus has done and the greatest thing you can do and the deepest place you can go with God is to remember. Remember, remember, remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. He said in Isaiah, or in Psalm 42, that scripture, verse six, remember 
What do I do in my soul? I go deep by remembering verse six, by remembering. I remember you. I remember what you did in Jordan. I remember what you did at Hermon. I remember what you did at, at Mizar. I remember what you did in Chicago. I remember what you did where I grew up. I remember what you did when I was 12. I remember what you did when I was 15. I remember what you did when I was 21. I remember how you rescued me then. I remember how you delivered me then. I remember how you were with me then. I remember how you sent people across my path then. Remember, 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 remember. You want to go deep with God. Remember. Remember. Going deep with God isn't getting all spiritual. And being all holy. I'm going deep with God. I understand Paul and Peter and the epistles and the apostles. The epistles you see were the apostles' wives. I'm deep with God. No, you want to go deep with God. Remember. Remember, don't forget. It was he that gave you. Food and manna from heaven that you did not know. It was he that gives. It is he who gives. Remember in Deuteronomy 818, he said he said, man, when when all these things happen, remember that it is he that gives. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Don't say in your heart, look at back in verse 17 of Deuteronomy 8. He says, when, he says, don't say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. No, he said, verse 18, he said, you shall remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives. It is he who gives. You say, no, I, I created this business, you know, but but it was he that gave you the idea. You know, it was me that worked hard to get my college degree and to work hard and be diligent at my job and in my business. But it was he that gave you the idea to be diligent. It was he that gave you the hands to work. It was he that gave you the will to fight. It was he that gave you the, the desire to get better and the desire to improve yourself and the desire to learn and to gain knowledge. It was he. It is he that gives. It is he that gives. It is he that gives. This is the greatest place of humility is the place of remembering that it is he who gives. It is he who gives. It is he who gives every good thing you have in your life. It was he that gave it. It was he that gave it. It was he that gave it. I wonder if I'm in the right place, though, today, because it was he that gave every good thing you have today was he that gave it. If you got something in your life, if you got something bad in your life, I promise you it did not come from God because it says in James 1:17, every good and perfect gift comes from above that God gives what is good to those who ask him. If you fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give what is good to those that ask him? Luke chapter seven says Luke chapter 11, Matthew chapter seven. Listen to me. We have to remember this is what it means to go deep with God. Do you see how easy this is? Do you see how easy this is? This isn't for the spiritual. The holy, the holy moly. It's for just those like you and me. If we just remember. I remember where I came from. I remember what God's delivered me from. I remember what God has forgiven me, all that God has forgiven me of recently. Right now, he already forgave me 2000 years ago. But my, my point is, is I came to realize my need for that mercy recently. I needed mercy when I first got started. I needed mercy when I first got saved. I need mercy today and I'm going to need some tomorrow, probably too. Thank God the throne of grace is open for business 24 hours a day where we can receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Hebrews 4:16 says, OK, moving on. Number two, I told you there were three things, three steps to going deep. What is number one? Remember what I, I mean, I just spent 10 minutes on it, so you better not better not. Mm -mm, not here, devil. <laughs> remember, remember what's number one. How do you go deep with God? Remember, remember what God has done. Remember, it is he that gives. Remember, remember, remember. Number two is found in Luke chapter five. So Jesus is preaching and in, in Luke chapter five, he gets in the boat. And they're hearing the word and then he gets he sees two boats that were that were owned by the fishermen that were that became his disciples, Peter and Andrew and some of the other ones. He saw two boats and the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. 
And it says then he got in one of the boats, which was Simon's, who he later renamed Peter. And he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And verse four says, and when he had finished speaking or he stopped speaking, because you know what? We can only hear so much before we need to take some action. I love how he says it in this translation here in the New King James Bible. When he had stopped speaking, he's going to start again. He always does. But he stops and then he wants us to take in what we've heard and he wants us to act on it. And he stopped speaking and he said to Simon, now launch into the deep launch where into the what into the where into the where we're talking about going deep with God, not about not getting deep about God. Right. Going deep, not getting deep. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, I want you to see how Jesus invites us to go deep. He's not saying go to Bible school, theology school. He's not saying, you know, go get it all figured out, figure out Revelation and Daniel and the, the way that Daniel and Revelation bind together and form the eschatology of the end times and the latter days for the latter day children of God. <laughs> he says, OK, I gave you a few thoughts. I spoke a few things to you. Now take action with it. Launch into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Let me tell you how deep what it means to go deep with God is he wants you to see things happen. He wants you to see results. He wants you to catch fish. He wants you to have abundance. This is not about thinking so hard that our heads explode, being so spiritual that we're we're no good to anybody here because we can't relate to what people actually feel like and what they actually go through. But this is what people go through. What Peter said is in verse five, he said, Master, we have fished all night and caught nothing. Let me tell you what going deep with God is when you are when you are a trained fisherman who has fished all night and caught nothing based on your previous experience and based on your uh, based on your professional training, you should not expect to catch anything. But at your word, I will let down the net. What is Peter telling us? He's telling us the step number two of going deep with God is listening to his word, listening to his word. It is so simple. Most Christians don't do it. The reason why Christians want to get deep is because they don't want to just listen to the word he's saying. He's saying, let down your net. He's saying, forgive that person. He's saying, give that seed. He's saying, share your faith. He's saying simple things like lift your hands, simple things like go to church, get in the cluster. There are simple things that God tells us to do and we don't need to come up with the complicated formula. We just need to do the simple. It is the simply responding to his voice, listening to what he said. Master, we have caught nothing. It goes against my experience and it goes against my upbringing and it goes against my training. But at your word, let me tell you something. Living by faith means living at God's word, not living by what you see. We fished all night, not living by what you've experienced. We've caught nothing, not living by your professional, uh, your uh, expertise and opinion. Oh, I'm a fisherman. You know, I've fished all my life. I know what it means. He, look, we could say you shouldn't be fishing at eight in the morning. You should have been fishing at five in the morning. But how did that work out for Peter that day? He had fished all night and caught nothing. And as long as we stay in the shallow waters with God, we're going to catch nothing. But if you will remember, you're going deep with God now. And if you will listen to the simple instruction of God's word, listen to his word, let down the net. Let down the net. We want to constantly hear more, hear more, hear more, hear more, hear more. Listen, listen. We want to just hear more, but we don't want to listen to the simple thing. That's why it says he stopped talking and he said, launch into the deep. Sometimes we just have to stop. Turn off all the voices and just act on the simple things that we know, because those who hear the word and act upon it, build their house with a firm foundation. They dug deep 
Remember what it says? Jesus said they dug deep and built a firm foundation. And when the storms came and the winds blow, it could not burst or beat. It could not uh, put that house down. It beat and burst against it, but it could not make it fall. Why? Because they had dug deep. They had gone deep. What is going deep? What was going deep in that case? Listening to the word and acting upon it, listening to the word and acting upon it, listening to God's word and acting upon it. Does this make any sense to anybody? Boy, I tell you what, we over spiritualize so many things and we want to keep listening because we never want to. Have to act on anything we've heard. We want to get to the next message, get to the next um, podcast, get to the next YouTube video, get to the next service. Just, you know, let's just keep, you know, keep talking, keep talking. At some point we need to stop. And we need to take action. That's going deep. Jesus said, he who hears my word but does not act upon it can be compared to a foolish man who built his house upon sand. But those who hear my word and act upon them is compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock, dug a deep foundation. He said in Luke chapter six, they dug a deep foundation and built the house upon the rock. I wonder how many times we just want to hear something new. We want to hear another opinion. We want to hear another preacher. We want to hear another sermon. We want to hear another motivational speaker. We want to hear another worship song. We want to hear another praise song. We want to hear another song where we have to just where all we have to do is just let the music do all the feeling for us and all the speaking for us. But at some point, what do you do when the music stops? What do you do when the speaking stops? You launch into the deep and you let down your net and you act upon what you've heard. You can only we amen. We get to the point where we have spiritual overload and we've heard so much, but we haven't acted on any of it. It just makes us puff. It puffs us up. You know, it says it in first Corinthians, chapter eight, verse one. He says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Look at the bottom of that verse. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. That word edify means to build up. Knowledge puffs up. You're just a big puff cake, just a big piece of bread with nothing in it, a big piece of dough with nothing in it. There's empty. It's just air. You're puffed up. It, another translation says arrogant. Knowledge makes you arrogant, but love edifies you. It gives you substance. It makes you be something of substance. The love of God gives you substance. It edifies you. It builds you up. And love does. Love acts. Love gives. God so loved the world that he gave. OK, so number one. To go deep with God is to remember what God has done. Number two is to listen and act upon his what you've heard is to listen to his word and act upon what you've heard. Everybody say, listen and act upon what you've heard. God's not expecting you to take all of the actions of a Christian that you haven't first heard and listened to. And your faith has come from hearing. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. God's expecting you to act on what you believe. He's not expecting you to, okay, figure out the 12 actions and behaviors that of how a Christian should act and how a Christian should behave. He's saying that your actions should be the overflow of what you have heard and believed. He said, we believe, therefore we acted accordingly. We believe, therefore we spoke. You see what I mean? It's not about figuring out all the right actions. It's about listening and acting upon what you've heard that has produced faith for you to act. OK. Now let's go to number three. Well, back to I'm still on number two. He listened in, in, in Luke chapter five. If you go back to Luke chapter five and Peter said, but at your word, we'll let down the net. And it says in verse it says in verse um, Six. So when he let down the net, they caught a great number of fish and their net began to break. 
And verse seven, they had to signal to their partners in the other boat to come over and help them. And they filled both boats so that they began to sink. Now, I want you to notice what happens when you go deep with God, which simply means remembering and listening and acting on what he says. Listen to what happens. Look at what happens to Peter. The whole trajectory of his life is changed because he acted on this simple word. Let down your net. He he sees it. So the first thing that happens to Peter is he sees the goodness of God. The second thing that happens to him is he falls down at Jesus knees. He becomes a worshiper of God. The third thing that happens to him is he says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He repents. It leads him to repentance. This encounter with Jesus, this encounter with Jesus, intimacy, being intimate with God. He's in the boat with him. What does it lead him to? Jesus doesn't say repent and then I'll get in your boat. Jesus got in his boat when he was a bad man. Jesus got in his boat when he was a sinner. Jesus got in his boat when he was a when he, when he was a cussing sailor. Jesus got in his boat when he had caught nothing. Peter had nothing to offer Jesus and Jesus still got in his boat. Peter was not obe- obedient to Jesus, yet he still got in his boat. Peter was not a worshiper of God, yet he still got in. Jesus still got in his boat. Peter was not a on fiery preacher, but Jesus still got in his boat. Peter ended up becoming all of those things. Why? Because Jesus got in his boat when he wasn't any of those things. Listen to what I'm saying. Jesus was willing to be intimate with Peter, even though Peter had no behavior that would that would that would imply his Christianity. But when he encountered the results of this intimacy with Jesus, when he had Jesus in his boat and he simply remembered and he listened, he remembered and he listened. He did what Jesus said. He said, I know that I'm used to fishing all night and catching nothing. I'm not used to putting my net out in the daytime. And but at your word, at your word, sometimes we have to go contrary to how we feel contrary to how we were raised, contrary to our experiences. And we have to walk by faith and not by sight. And what happened next? He began to fulfill his destiny and became the greatest preacher that ever lived at that time. In one day, he preached his first sermon in the book of Acts and 3000 people were saved. He preached his next sermon in Acts chapter five and 5,000 people were saved. Later in Acts chapter five, people tried to just get in Peter's shadow with their sick relatives so that if they could just get in his shadow, they would be healed. Can you imagine that your shadow could heal the sick? Your shadow could raise the dead. This is how powerful of a man Peter was. Yeah. Was he the doubter? Yeah. Is he the guy that sank in the water? Absolutely. Is he the guy that got his emotions ahead of himself and he cut people's ears off? All of those things guilty as charged. And yet Peter had an intimate relationship with Jesus to where he listened to what he said and he acted upon what he said. And God had mercy on Peter and Peter did not give up on himself and Jesus didn't give up on him and he's not giving up on you and he wants to go deep with you just like he went deep with Peter and Peter fulfilled his destiny and you're going to fulfill yours, too. Number three, I said there are three steps to go in deep and then three results of it. Here it is. Luke chapter 19. So in Luke chapter 19, Jesus is passing through uh, the city of Jericho. And in verse two of Luke 19, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Now, Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector. That was pretty bad. That was like the worst person in Israel. The worst person among the Jewish people were the tax collectors. They still are. God bless us all. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The tax. But he wasn't just any old tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. And you know how he got rich? By demanding more tax dollars from the people than what was fair. And verse three. But he sought to see who Jesus was. Okay, Zacchaeus is a sinner. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Zacchaeus is greedy and selfish and takes from other people. And then, you know, his probably his you know, lowest of all attributes. He was of short stature. Just kidding. Uh, he was short, but that wasn't his lowest, his lowest attribute. Get it? He was lowest, his lowest. Attribute. 
Come catch up and let's go forward. Um, <laughs> I want you to see what it means to go deep with God. It's really simple. It's, in, it's found in these first words. He sought to see who Jesus was. He sought to see who Jesus was. Boy, when you just want to know what Jesus is really like and who he really is, you're going deep with God. When you want to be able to argue and prove your point, and it just amazes me how I'll put on a post on social media and you get all you know, you get a lot of amens and all that, but then you get the people that want to fill in the blanks. Well, you forgot Revelation chapter 12, Pastor, and you forgot Genesis chapter three and you forgot Romans chapter four and, you know, the complete whole counsel of God. Look, I'm just putting a one sentence post online just to encourage people. We don't have to give them the whole counsel of God in one post. But we want to get all deep. Act all smart. But you know what this man what took him deep with Jesus was he just wanted to see who Jesus was. He just wanted to see. Don't ever think you got it all figured out. We should always be wanting to see who Jesus really is. What is he really like? What is God really like? Let me show you what happens. Verse four. So he goes in a tree to see if because he can't get he can't see with the crowd. So he goes, runs ahead, climbs in a tree and he was going to pass that way. Verse five, Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus and he said to him, Zacchaeus, he calls him by name, because when you want to see what he's really like, he's going to call you by name. When you remember what he's done, he's going to call you by name. When you just act on what he said, he's going to call you by name. He looked up, he said, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down for today. I've got to stay at your house. He said, make haste, which means hurry up. And I want to encourage you about going deep with God. Hurry up and go deep with God. D start your day out giving thanks. Start your day out remembering God. Be in a hurry to wake up and thank God. Now, you may not be in a hurry to wake up, but be in a hurry to thank him when you do wake up. Be in a hurry to thank him when something good happens. Be in a hurry to thank him when something bad happens, not for the bad thing, but because he's good and he'll turn something bad into something good because that's who he is and that's what he's like. Be in a hurry to join the fast from wrong thinking. Be in a hurry to wake up and get your thought. Be in a hurry to speak the word. Be in a hurry to forgive somebody. Be in a hurry. He says, make haste. Listen to his voice and be in a hurry to listen to his voice. Do not delay. Get in a hurry to listen to the voice of God. And let me show, and let me show you what happens. Verse six. OK, so now, man, this guy's life has changed. It says so he made haste and he came down and he received him joyfully. Now, I said there were three things, three steps to take to go deep with God. What are they? Number one, remember what he's done. Number two, listen and act upon his word. And number three, just desire to see who he really is and what he's really like. You know, every time you read something Jesus did in the Bible. That's what God is really like. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, the works that I do, I do because I've seen the father do these things. So whenever we see Jesus healing somebody, that's what God's like. You know, people have all these opinions about what God's like. Why did God let that happen? And why did God let that tornado hit? And why did God let that mama lose her baby? And why did God let this happen? And why did God look? You, you cannot pin those things on God. We live in a fallen world where Satan has influenced this earth and influenced people and bad people do bad things. And let me tell you something. This we have got to realize that when we see the life of Jesus in the Gospels, when we see the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, that's what God's like. What did he do when he came upon the sick? He healed them. What did he do when he came upon the hungry? He fed them. What did he do when he came upon the lonely? He comforted them. What did he do when he came upon them grieving in the morning? He was with them and he healed them. What did he do when he came to the demon possessed? He cast the devil out. He didn't cast the devil in. He didn't make somebody sick. He made somebody well. He made people well. He healed and delivered and set the captives free. This is what he did everywhere he went. He went, went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. That's what God's like. That's the real Jesus. And that's what we should be looking for when we read our Bibles is the goodness of God. But I want you to see 
Those are the three steps to take to go deep with God and the three results of it. The three areas of our life that are affected is first, it says, so Zacchaeus made haste, came down. Look at what it says in verse six. He made haste. He came down and received him joyfully. He received him joyfully. I got to tell you something. The first thing that happens. When you have an intimate walk with God, when you go deep with God, the first thing that it affects is it affects your relationship with yourself. You become a happy person. He received him joyfully. It produced joy. It produced happiness. It made him a happy man before he was a mean, nasty. S.O.G. son of a gun. <laughs> right. And he was a taker and he was a thief and he demanded tax money and he took more than what was owed. And he was. And yet now he's a happy man. You see, his intimacy with God changed his affected his relationship with himself. You know, you can never affect your relationship with others until you affect your relationship with yourself. You really can't love other people until you are in love with your until you love yourself God's way. I don't mean being in love with yourself in a self-centered, narcissistic way, but to love yourself God's way. And, you know, you think about it, you can't you can't treat people right. If you don't think well of yourself, you won't do well for others. You'll only start doing well for others when you do well to yourself. That's why he says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's you love your neighbor in a correspondence to how you love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. As you love yourself, you'll be able to love your neighbor that way, too. As you take care and you value yourself, you'll value your neighbor, too. This affected his relationship with himself. He's a happy person now. He received him joyfully. It changed his emotions. It changed his attitude about himself. It changed his condition in life. He became a happy person. He wasn't waiting for anybody to give him money and waiting for anybody to do anything for him. He became a happy person because he received Jesus. He became a happy person because he listened to Jesus. He became a happy person because he now has accepted the invitation to intimacy with Jesus. Am I in the right place here today? Joy came. Happiness came. Contentment came. So the first thing that it affected, this intimacy affected his relationship with himself. Secondly, it affected his relationship with others. Look at verse seven. He said, Lord, he received him joyfully. And he said, Lord, half um, they saw well, when they saw this, they all complained. You know, you don't have to realize that when you have an intimate relationship with God, it's not going to make everybody. It's not going to make everybody like you. Some people are going to complain about you when they saw it. Who are they when they saw it? We don't even know who they are. There's always a they in our lives. And they complain and they call us names and they remind us of our past. But thank God Jesus isn't like that. It doesn't matter what they say. We're not in bondage to what they say and what they complain about. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus said, Lord, look, half my goods give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. So the second thing that his intimacy with God affected is it affected his relationship with other people. Lord, if I've wronged anybody, I'm, I'm restoring them. You know, you can tell a lot about your relationship with God based on how willing you are to resolve conflict with others. Going deep here. Did you hear what I said? It's really something we need to catch. You can tell a lot about your relationship with God by how you resolve conflict with others. Some people run, some people debate, some people complain, some people escape, some people deflect, some people get mad, some people get offended, some people and, and sometimes that's one person does all those things. Because you know what? You have a shallow relationship with God because you're not remembering what he's done for you. That would make you humble. You're not listening and acting on what he said. That'll make you humble and that'll bless you. And you're not trying to see the real who Jesus really is. You're trying to make up a different Jesus. No, Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus wouldn't let you get away with that. Jesus doesn't. Jesus going to get you. Jesus. Oh, get him, Lord. Get him. Holy Ghost. 
But that's not the real Jesus. The real Jesus does not take revenge. The real Jesus is not mad. The real Jesus doesn't hold a grudge. Look in the Bible and you'll see. Look for who the real Jesus is. That's going deep with God. I'm restoring everybody I've defaulted, everybody I defrauded, everybody that I wronged. I'm fixing it. I'm making it right. You see, when you have intimacy with God, it affects your relationship with other people. It causes you to treat people with respect, to treat people with dignity, because Jesus treated Zacchaeus with dignity. He said, you might be short, but come down from that tree. I'm going to your house. You might be a chief sinner. Come down from that tree. I'm going to your house. It affected his relationship with himself. He has joy now. It affected his relationship with others. He's making it right with other people now. You know, it's really simple. Resolve conflict. Be a conflict resolver. Don't run from it. Don't fight it. Don't be a person who's always got to make somebody else be wrong. He could have said, well, they deserve to pay me that. And they wronged the nation of Israel and they did this and they did that. He said, look, I, I've wronged some people. I'm going to give them back. I'm going to restore to them four times what I took. That's making it right. Come on. Who's hearing this today? And number three and number three, this intimacy with God, this going deep with God affected his relationship with things, his relationship with things. He said here in verse eight, Lord, half of all my goods I give to the poor. He didn't say I'm going to do it. He did it. He said, I give it right now. I swear with my words. I give with my word. It's done. Half of everything I have is given to the poor. You know what? This guy did not have to squabble with God about tithing. He wasn't having to have a theological argument. Well, am I under the old covenant? Am I under the new covenant? Am I somewhere in the sliver of time in between the old and the new coming together? I wonder if I should give a tithe off of the gross, a tithe off of the net. Isn't that passed away? All the church wants is my money. All the poor wants is my money. I don't need to give. I don't need to tithe. I don't need to honor the Lord. He's not having any of those arguments with himself because you know what? You only have arguments with yourself in your mind about things like that when you are shallow with God. But when you are deep with God, it affects your relationship with things and you no longer are attached to the things that used to attach themselves to you and you're happy to give. He's not talking about tithing. A tithe is simply a tenth. He said half, 50 percent. That's half, y'all. Casey didn't know what 50 percent is. 50 percent of everything I have, I give it right now. You want to put a, a kibosh on all the theological arguments and getting deep about tithing. Well, are the windows of heaven really going to open? Is God really going to pour it out? Like this guy is not concerned about what it's going to do for him. He's concerned about having a right relationship with things because his relationship, his intimacy with God affected his relationship with money and with things. And these things no longer possess him. He can freely give half of my goods I give to the poor. You know why he kept the other half so he could pay back everybody else fourfold of what he had taken. It's not even, like he's not even like, OK, I'm going to give I'm going to be a 50 percent or five times my tithe. He's like, it all is yours anyway, Lord, because I got something money can't buy. And that's you coming to my house, staying with me, giving me joy, making my relationship with you and myself happy, joyful. I'm ready to impact this world. 